This is the Transcend Human Podcast, a weekly show where we learn what it means to rise above the human condition. We hope the conversation today is just what you need for the week ahead. Yes, yes, yes. Welcome back. I think I was listening to the music and I was kind of caught up in that for a second there. Um, But yes, welcome back to the Transcend Human Podcast. Great to be with you. What is it? February 28th. So yeah, 2022 is just cranking right along. And we are still in the series called Conscience Driven Therapy. Great to have you with us. You know, I was thinking the other day, it's so hard when you're planning things like this. So way back, even last year, when I was really thinking about doing conscience-driven therapy and what it could look like, it's so hard to look ahead and, you know, really understand what it's going to be like and how it might come across and whether people might find it helpful or not. So here we are. What is this? Chapter eight. Good gravy. We're on chapter eight. And now that we've done seven other episodes, I'm able to kind of look back and analyze it because, you know, hindsight is 2020. And so there's a couple observations that I had this week. Uh, The first is that this content is probably a lot more in-depth, detailed, dry, boring um, than the average episodes, right? I mean, normally when we do an episode... It's on a specific topic, and I have a lot of fun things that I want to talk about. Um, And this is a little more academic, right? Because this is, it's very therapeutic. It's very clinical focused. Um, It's it's self-help, but at the same time, it can also be used as a clinical tool for for therapists. So I get it. I mean, I I understand that it might be difficult to listen to some of these, these weeks, just because of the, the content that I'm throwing out there. But I'm still having fun, and I hope that you are having fun as well. And I hope that in totality, you know, once these 10 episodes are in the can, so to speak, I really hope that they can stand alone uh, and that somebody who's really looking for this type of content can come in, binge the entire series, get what they need out of it, um, either for themselves or to use with other people. And so that's that's really the goal here. And I'm just glad that you chose to be with us on the journey. So that said, let's dive right in. All right, I mentioned that this was chapter eight. Um, so we've got two more after this. And the minute of transparency is actually a follow-up from last week. So last week it was called anger management. Uh, this week it's going to be anger management part two. So last week, I lifted the curtain a little on my past for a few minutes so you could peek inside. I told a few stories about me losing my cool and giving into my anger while driving. And then we moved on. But what I didn't really talk about was the why or the how behind it, right? We did walk through the ETOTO workflow in the last episode, which suggests that I had some irrational thoughts or beliefs about those driving situations. And this is really a core element in all of the cognitive therapies, that it isn't the event or person that causes us to get angry. 
It's our thinking or our beliefs about that event or that person that cause us to be angry. So back then, I was most likely my own worst enemy because I lacked that knowledge, right? That my thoughts and my beliefs were causing my anger and not actually the other drivers. But I think there was something else going on at the same time, another piece of information that I was missing. So there's a chance that I didn't even see my anger as a problem at the time. I was pretty smug about the fact that I was in the right and that the other people were in the wrong. Looking back, I feel like this might have been the rocket fuel that powered my road rage. The arrogance that I was in the right and the other people deserved to be punished for their mistakes. And that's really where we're headed today. So last week, we talked about the knowledge piece, right? Coming to an understanding about something that we didn't previously understand. And today, we take the next logical step in that process, in that process which is to take action. So what did that look like for me and my road rage? Well, let's look at three things. The first um, is really putting my knowledge to work for me. So disputing my thoughts and my beliefs about the other drivers. So here's some simple examples. Changing my belief that the other driver meant to cut me off and choosing to believe that the other driver most likely cut me off by accident. Or changing my belief that the other driver deserved to be taught a lesson and instead choosing to believe it's not my job to teach other drivers those kinds of lessons. See how that works? Subtle little changes in thoughts and beliefs that starts to soften your anger. It lowered the temperature, so to speak, inside of my head and inside of my vehicle. Number two, the second thing is, and this one's hard to admit, but I started to become those people, meaning I became the guy that needed to be taught a lesson, a driving lesson every now and then. I'm not sure when it happened or how often, but at some point I found myself accidentally cutting other people off, not seeing that my lane was ending and having to brake hard or accelerate in order to not hit the person beside me. I've turned the wrong way on one-way streets. I've missed turns because I wasn't paying attention. All the things, I've done those myself. And before long, your ego takes a hit that it can't recover from. You realize that you're just like everyone else. And you make mistakes too. And the final thing, and this shocked me a bit, we moved to California. I know, right? You're as shocked as me. We moved from the Midwest, where there are very few people on the road, to Southern California, where heavy traffic is a way of life. And I'm telling you that this helped with my road rage? Crazy, right? But here's why I think that is. In the Midwest, I felt like people drove around locked and loaded with the hammer cocked, just waiting for someone to trigger them. In California, there are so many people on the road, it seems, you know, everyone just evens out. Like we all understand that we're in this together. And because close calls happen literally every single day, there's no reason to make a big deal out of them. It takes way too much energy. Now, because that was just my experience, I figured I should at least look it up and try to find some raw data to see if I'm on the right track. And guess what I found? According to thezebra.com, in 2016, there were 10 states that led the rest in fatalities due to road rage. 
Indiana was number one on that list. And California did not appear in the top 10. Coincidence? You tell me. Now, I literally use this article because I found it humorous that it so easily made my point. And I'm sure if you did a harder, deeper, longer Google search, you'll probably find articles that talk about California as having terrible road rage. I don't know. But it is what it is. So there you have it. A transparent illustration on the two-step process. Step one, come to an understanding about something. Step two, do something about it. Which brings us to our topic for today. Chapter eight, knowing is half the battle. We're going to walk through three things. Number one, first understand, then act. Two, living proactively. And three, developing a personalized plan of attack or a PPA. Number one, first understand, then act. Now, some of you may be thinking, haven't I heard that before? It sounds very familiar. First understand, then act. Well, you're close. You're probably thinking of this phrase made popular by the late Stephen R. Covey. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. This is habit five from the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Now, his phrase is based off of an even more popular concept, right? This idea that we should listen before we talk. The concept that God gave us two ears and one mouth, so we should probably listen twice as much as we talk. Great ideas, super helpful. So our phrase is similar, but at the same time suggests something altogether different which we've hammered away at for the past two episodes, right? Our phrase suggests that we need to first understand something and then we can act on it. And in our scenario, understanding doesn't just simply happen by listening. We come to an understanding about things in numerous ways. How? By hearing it, seeing it, reading it, watching it, feeling it, smelling it, tasting it, experiencing it. All very sensory, right? But it makes sense. Human beings learn about things through their senses. And if we tune into those senses, then we can come to a full understanding about new things. Obviously, there are good and bad things that come we come to an understanding about, right? For me, coming to an understanding of Chicago-style pizza was life-changing. One of my favorite experiences of all time. If you've never had Giordano's Chicago-style pizza, you haven't actually lived. But I also came to an understanding of death at a very young age, when a few of our cats got out of our house and were killed by a couple of neighborhood dogs. Not one of the better experiences in my life, right? But at the same time, it provided a new understanding, one that I hadn't experienced yet. And in both of these scenarios, I acted upon my new understanding. When I came to an understanding of how good Giordano's pizza was, I made a point of having it whenever we ventured into Chicago. When I came to the understanding about death and the fragility of life, I never looked at animals in quite the same way. I held pets closer. I loved them more. I thought about their safety more often. But in both scenarios, it was the same process. First understand, then act. Number two living proactively. So 
Being proactive is something that we need to spend a bit of time on here because it fits perfectly into our little equation. First understand, then act. Now, it isn't there. You can't see the word itself because it lives in the white space between the two phrases. So technically, we could say it like this. First understand, then be proactive, then act. But that just muddies things. I like it better when it's short and to the point. But we can still talk about being proactive because it's a required step, even though we didn't call it out. And in order to understand the concept of being proactive, it might be good to look at the opposite side of the coin, which is reactive. Need a good illustration? Look no further than my road rage as a college student, right? That's being reactive in a nutshell, reacting to my anger with a definite lack of wisdom, lack of knowledge, and lack of understanding. Now, unfortunately, this is part of the human condition and possibly part of human nature. It just might be the default response mechanism when we're born. It's the animal inside of us, the desire to react to stimuli in our environment immediately. In the animal world, we call this reflex behavior or instinctual behavior. There's just something in the animal that tells them and compels them to respond in certain ways. So really, we came by it honestly. But if humans are supposed to be more intelligent than animals, there must be something else we're capable of doing. And obviously, this is related to our cognitive abilities. The ability to think, plan, analyze, problem solve, and yes, be proactive. So to summarize, once we come to an understanding about something, we are in a good position to be proactive about that information, to think ahead, to plan, to analyze and problem solve, and then act upon our conclusions and put the plan into place. And that's really all I wanted to say about being proactive. Although it comes up again uh, next week in our conversation called Transcend Human. Number three, developing a personalized plan of attack or a PPA. So here's where we find ourselves, right? We've come to a new understanding about the controversy and we've decided we want to be proactive about it. So what does that look like? What do we do next? What are the action steps in being proactive? I'm glad you asked. I'm going to slap a fun little name on it and create yet another acronym for us to remember. Our proactive next step is called a personalized plan of attack or a PPA. Now, to me, this just makes perfect sense, right? As we've talked about in conscience-driven therapy, Satan creates personalized temptation plans, PTPs. God has an eternal life plan, an ELP. So why shouldn't we get a plan, right? A personalized plan of attack, or a PPA, is a worksheet that provides the following benefits. It helps us plan ahead. It helps us decide some things in advance. It provides a foundation upon which to build those things. It's a physical reminder to remain strong on the things that we used to waver on. And it's a tangible reminder that we're living life on purpose. So let's walk through the personalized plan of attack just so that we get an idea of what the different elements are inside of it. The things that we can document and then be proactive about moving forward. 
So if I were to create this personalized plan of attack, obviously I would put my name on it and it's my personalized plan of attack for immediate and ongoing use. Section number one, the big three questions. We've talked about these before. The big three questions are, where did I come from? Which is a question of origin. Why am I here? Which is a question of purpose. And where am I going? Which is a question of destiny or destination. And within those big three questions, there are important concepts that we need to have answers or beliefs about. So within those three questions, it's gonna, you're going to have to wrestle with the concept of God, Satan, the human condition, the sin virus, the antidote to the sin virus, the eternal election, death, and eternal life. So these are all kinds of you know, things that we've talked about in the past, but it's helpful to kind of document what you believe about those things, because this is really the foundation the spiritual foundation, if you will, upon which we can build. So all of the other things that we talk about need to build on top, build on top of this initial understanding of the things that we cannot control, the things that exist within our world, within the human condition. All right, then the next section um, is understanding my value. So this is really, this came out of chapter four, which is the first step toward health and healing. And it's really this whole concept of believing, really, really, really believing that you have value. So if I read you this statement, I have unimaginable value simply because I'm a child of the creator. How strongly do you believe in that from one to 10? With one being, I don't believe it. With 10 being, I fully believe it. And with somewhere in the middle you know, struggling with it, right? Now, the higher you are on this scale, the easier it will be to make good decisions, right? When you really believe in yourself and believe that you are valuable in the universe, it changes things. You develop an internal locus of control and you recognize that even small decisions can have eternal consequences. All right, next section is documenting the direction I was sent. So this is from chapter two, where we talked about being sent in a specific direction. So in chapter two, we we kind of clump this out into three buckets, right? People, places, and things that we experienced in our past. And it's good to understand these things and to recognize how they shaped us into the person we are today. And this can be good, bad, or a combination of both. So let's start with people. So list all of the people that had an impact on you throughout your life, from your family of origin to other people you were raised by, to teachers, coaches, youth pastors, neighbors, drama teachers, friends, or just other impactful people. Next, places. So think about your home environment, your neighborhood, your school, your city, the town you grew up in, the state, the country, even the culture um, that you grew up in. And then finally, things. So this is everything else that impacted you as a kid, but things that don't reach the level of a landmine or a minefield, which we'll talk about in a minute. All right, the next section is the big things that happened in your past. So this is from chapter three, which is there were landmines and minefields along the way. So in chapter three, we discussed the big things, right? The things that really marked us in life, things that potentially were traumatic that we went through. Uh, 
And this trauma, no matter how severe it is, is still a part of us. We carry it with us and we must figure out how we're going to deal with it. So if you've already completed the landmines and minefields inventory, you already have this list. But if you were filling out a a personalized plan of attack and you had not completed that, then these are the things that you would document. So when you look at landmines, landmines are the negative life events in your past. So things that happened to you or things that you played a role in. And then minefields. A minefield is a pattern of negative life events. So these are things that happen to you over time more than once or things that you did more than once that were negative and caused problems in your life. Next, recognize the dangers. So this is from chapter seven, just last week, understanding the battle. We discussed again, the controversy between God and Satan. And we talked about how Satan has personalized temptation plans or PTPs for each of us based on the things that he knows are difficult for us. Now, we never filled out a PTP when we walked through that chapter, right? We simply looked at an example. But if you were to sit down and fill out one for yourself, what would it look like? If you were being 100% honest with yourself, what would Satan have on his plan for your life? Now, let's try to take that whole plan and simplify it down into two things. We will call these weaknesses and blind spots. Now, in the church world, uh, these are often referred to as strongholds. So areas in your life where Satan has a foot in the door, so to speak, and he's working really hard to get his hand in there as well. So let's start with weaknesses. So weaknesses are things that you already know that you struggle with. This can be any anything from irrational thinking to unhealthy behaviors, things you know you shouldn't do or th- uh, ways that you know you shouldn't be thinking or acting, but yet you still do them on a regular basis. So those are weaknesses. And then there's blind spots, right? So these are things that you're likely to fall for. Is there a history of addiction or anger problems in your family? Uh, Have you fallen for things in the past and you have no idea how that happened or why you made the wrong decision? Those might be uh, indicators that you have blind spots. Next section, think positive. So this is from chapter five, which is hold on to the good, release the bad. In chapter five, we discuss how we can reframe our worldview by focusing on our assets and strengths Versus just the landmines and minefields or the things that have previously defined us from our past. Now, again, if you've already completed the assets and strengths inventory, simply attach it here and we'll move to the next section. But if you haven't completed that activity, this is basically what we're looking for. Assets, right, are the positive things you have going for you that are outside of yourself. So, These are things from either from the past or in the present that are helpful to you just because of the environment you live in or the people you know or the money that you have, whatever. Those are all considered assets. Strengths, on the other hand, are positive things that you have within you, again, from the past or in the present. So these are things that you have inside of you, positive um, knowledge, that you're intelligent, that you have 
an understanding. You have street smarts. Uh, maybe you have a good sense of humor. Uh, I don't know. All things that are strengths because they are from within you. They are things that you know, that you understand, things that you've learned in your past from the, you know, the right people or things that you've even studied yourself, right? You've taught yourself how to do these things. And those are strengths because they are within you. The next section, think rationally. So this is from chapter six, which is locus of control and E-T-O-T-O. Now, thinking rationally isn't something that we can just document one time and call it good, right? This is an ongoing process. The struggle is real sort of thing, right? We can't decide one day to think more rationally and just expect it to be there for the rest of our life. Instead, we need to learn how to identify when there is a problem with our thinking and then have a process for fixing it. And that process we walked through. It was called the cognitive reframing workflow. We also refer to it as the ETOTO worksheet or ETOTO worksheet. So consider this section of your personalized plan of attack a folder of sorts, a trapper keeper for every ETOTO worksheet you've ever completed. Now, there could be a couple or there could be a couple hundred. It doesn't really matter. Just know that this is a daily process that we go through, right? We have to constantly be on the lookout for unhealthy negative emotions and behaviors. We have to identify the irrational thinking and the beliefs that are causing them. So here's a couple examples, right? If you find yourself saying, nothing good ever happens to me. She makes me so angry. If I lose my job, I would die. If I go outside, something terrible could happen. There is literally nothing going right in the world today. Have you ever thought those kinds of thoughts or heard other people say those kinds of things? Those are irrational. So you dispute the irrational thoughts and beliefs and you change them into new, healthy thoughts and beliefs. Now, it's also important to remember when you're in the disputation process, when you're in the process of disputing those beliefs, that there are two active elements that conscience-driven therapy suggests you walk through. So the first is the spiritual, right? So there are two pieces to that. There are spiritual disciplines like reading the Bible, praying, um, interacting with uh, mentors who are very spiritual. And then there's also listening to your conscience, right? We talked about the conscience and how important that piece is in your mind. That piece that kind of pushes you to know what's right and wrong. And then you have the psychological, which is the rigorous process of challenging your thinking based on, you know, facts, based on science, based on can I prove whether this is true or not? So the assignment for this section is that when you've identified irrational thinking in your life, complete an ETOTO worksheet, E-T-O-T-O, right? And attach it to this PPA. Wash, rinse, and repeat. And then finally, get proactive. So from chapter eight, knowing is half the battle, which is what we're talking about today, um, we discussed this very document, right? The personalized plan of attack, the PPA. So we talked about that, but we also talked about being proactive, which is to think before, to plan in advance how you want 
to behave and to think in certain situations. And this PPA is a huge part of that process. But we can even get more specific when it comes to people, places, and things in the future. So we're going to look at a final list of people, places, and things because these are decisions that you can make in advance how you want to live your life in the future. So starting with people, and we're just going to ask two very relevant questions for each of these buckets, right? When it comes to people, who are some people that you need to spend less time with? And the other question, who are people that I should spend more time with? Simple questions may not be easy answers, but very simple questions. The same thing with places. What are some places that I should avoid? And where should I spend more time? And finally, behaviors. So what are some things that I need to do less? And what are some things that I need to start doing more often? And that's really it. That is a personalized plan of attack or a PPA. Now, if you'd like a clean copy of this worksheet to use in the future, head on over to the Patreon page and I'll have it uploaded there this week. Now, again, this is not an easy button, right? We talked about the easy button in chapter five when we talked about holding on to the good and releasing the bad. At the end of that episode, we talked about it being as simple as just reframing your worldview. Let go of the landmines and minefields and focus on your assets and strengths. Again, easier said than done. And as we've learned today, there are some other very important pieces that we need to address in there. So developing the personalized plan of attack is anything but easy, right? It requires time. It requires energy. It requires us to think very rigorously about our past. And that could be difficult, right? Thinking back on some of those things is not fun. Uh, it requires careful thought and reflection. Uh, it requires honesty and transparency. And it requires that we do the hard work of disputation, being ruthless with our thinking and our belief structure, and turning those irrational ones into rational ones moving forward. But if we're willing to do the hard work, then we're on the path to success, the road to health and healing, the road to purpose and meaning in the future. And that's really what the PPA is, the personalized plan of attack is just a roadmap, if you will. It's it's just getting everything that you believe and a, a healthy understanding of your past, what happened to you, and then focusing on the future and making sure that the way that you're thinking about your past and even the way you're thinking about your future is rational. So let's land the plane. This week, ask yourself the following questions. Where are you at in the first understand, then act process. Are you still working on the understanding part? Are you ready to start thinking proactively? Or are you ready to act? If you're like me, you're in all three phases at once, all the time, in different areas of your life. And that's okay. Because life is a journey, and we're always learning new things. So that makes sense. Number two, when it comes to living proactively, what does that look like for you? What are you doing in order to decide in advance how you want your life to go, in order to plan for your future? And finally, would you be willing to fill out a personalized plan of attack this week? 
If so, head on over to the website or the Patreon page and sign up to get your copy. All right. Thank you so much for joining me again this week. Um, this was a much shorter episode, almost half as, half as long as uh, a couple of the previous ones. So we're making progress, right? <laughs> uh, but that's it. I mean, this is, we're getting close to the end, right? This is chapter eight. Next week we do chapter nine, which is transcend human. Um, and then the final one will wrap up, um, on, you know, talking about being a conscience driven therapy ambassador and what that looks like. So that's it. Um, have a great week, everyone. And as always keep transcending human. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Transcend Human podcast. If you're interested in the show notes for this episode, head on over to transcendhuman.com forward slash podcast and navigate to the episode you're looking for. On the website, you'll also find blog posts, podcast series, and other helpful resources to help you navigate the Transcend Human ecosystem. You'll also find links to our social media channels, and as always, if you have questions, feel free to contact us at info at transcendhuman.com. Have a great week, everyone, and we'll see you back here on Monday morning.